Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Hugh Fleming, who's an expert and senior executive in the water management or in water management, having been the head of water management for Anglo-American. So he's here to talk about all things water within the mining industry. He's going to cover a lot of things that may be not obvious to many in the industry, but I suppose you should be aware of in everyday decisions that you're making. So let's get this underway, and that's welcome you to the podcast. How are you doing, Hugh? Yes, Rob. Hello. That's good. I appreciate your time, and uh, good to have you on the podcast. Um, appreciate if you can uh, give our audience a little bit of background about yourself. Um, obviously, you've been in the, the mining and water industry for a few decades now. So I just appreciate if you can uh, give our audience um, a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. Very briefly, I've been in uh, water and related infrastructure my entire career. So that's now uh, my 40th year. Um, and so very briefly, I had, uh, um, I had started a water treatment technology firm early on uh, with some friends. It grew and became uh, essentially GE Water, very large firm with public. Um, I, had, uh, I was formerly president of Severn Trent, actually, so I spent a fair amount of time with the UK and uh, Severn Trent uh, Services, which is the non-UK portion, certainly. But, uh, and then many years at uh, Hatch, leading, leading Hatch, and, uh, which is a large engineering construction firm, Canadian-based. Heavily mining, oil and gas, public sector, fundamentally water and energy infrastructure, and very much in mining over that entire career. Uh, and then for the past, as you said, uh, 15 years or so with uh, ang- various parts of Anglo, Anglo Gold, Anglo Platinum, and then, of course, Anglo PLC in the UK and, and globally. So, um, yeah, that's, that's me. And um, what are you up to sort of now? I uh, took an early retirement from Anglo. It's... Uh, the end of 2019, and I've uh, been essentially consulting for the industry um, since that time. Uh, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of, of movement, not just in mining, but really globally with respect to water and water issues. And so fundamentally consulting for the industry. Okay. Um, first question, um, what part of the capex in mining is water-related costs? Uh, the best estimates are now close to about 15%, which would surprise a lot of people. People tend to think of CapEx and mining being related to the mining activities. But uh, as you, I'm sure you know, water is a significant part of the requirement for a mine, either new water to manage mining and refining or management of water that's on the mine and either treatment, discharge, or reuse. And so it's particularly because more than half of new mines are in water-stressed areas uh, and or uh, mine expansions, more than 50% are in water-stressed areas, water often becomes the limitation in the mine plan and mine growth. And in fact, um, 
the ability to to do mine. So um, capex for water has become um, an inordinate percent of the overall capex. Yeah, and how detailed is that figure within the budgets? I mean, obviously, obviously you work for Anglo, so and obviously you would probably heavily have influence on that but with i suppose just general mining companies whether they're small mid-tier how much emphasis do they put on, on, on water within their within their budgets it's an interesting thing i think um miners discovered frankly a bit late that water was so significant to their overall uh financial sustainability that the the majors certainly have become very sensitive um particularly because of some very high-profile shutdowns over the past uh, three, four years related to water. Um, the, the smallers and the regional players um, uh, probably haven't had the, the same degree of sensitivity to water. Also, they aren't as, a, a, as such a significant part of the overall community, whereas as a major miner often is the major economic engine in the entire community that they're involved in. They may be the, in fact, they would typically be the largest source of taxes, the largest source of employment, the largest source of healthcare, education, and related. And so they, water is all integral to all that. And so um, the majors are very sensitive to it. And in fact, getting more sensitive as shareholders are driving that sensitivity. Yeah. And I suppose with junior mid-tier where they may not emphasize water within their budgets, is there, any, is there a way that what they should be looking at initially, if they're preparing a budget, what they should be looking at in relation to, to water? I mean, how, how do they get started? Well, a couple of things. Even the juniors or mid-tier are finding it uh, more of an issue today, primarily because of their need for financing. And financing institutions, whether they're investment funds or governments or um, you know various NGOs, are very sensitive to water and other social aspects. And so they're, the, the financing is, in fact, driving, in many cases, the decisions around water and the sensitivity to it. Um, it's re they're requiring the, to, to receive investments. They're requiring the, let's say, the juniors to um, have a water plan, have, effectively have a sustainable management mining plan forward, business plan, which includes sustainable water management, um, and so they, they're finding that they have to include a water element right up front, uh, identify what it is, new water that they need, beneficial water management to the community, discharge or environmental issues that they might have. And they're re being required to do that. And the other point I would make is their shareholders are, are requiring them to do that as well. Um, shareholders have become very activist around the world. And, um, and they recognize that water generally is the largest flashpoint for communities, um, either in terms of competition for access to drinking water in the community or at the other end to contaminants being discharged from the mines that would affect potentially affect the communities. And so there's, there's a very strong requirement for the miners to be very transparent, which the industry has not been as transparent as it should have been over the years, um, and communicate to communities, governments, and stakeholders where they are with respect to their water program. Um, what parts of the world or mining commodities um, at risk for um, either too much or too little water across the world? And obviously from your working for Anglo, you would have obviously worked in many jurisdictions and countries. Sure. Yeah, I've worked in, in almost all of them. 
in, in, in a really simple way of thinking about it, the Northern Hemisphere is generally water rich. So nations like Russia, Canada, Northern China, uh, Northern part, Eastern Europe is generally water rich, meaning in, in my world called water positive. They normally have more water than they need, which creates its own issues. The issues there generally are discharge management and contaminant management. And so that can be equally as bad. The Southern Hemisphere generally, in, in rough terms, is the water short regions. So now you're Chile, Brazil, Peru, and in South America, for example, and Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, well, really most of Africa, um, certainly Australia in a very large way, and then uh, Western and Southern China, India, all um, uh, massively short of water. Uh, you probably know that um, at the global level, the, the crossover point, if you will, where there's sufficient water in the world for world population versus our consumption is crossing over at about 2025. So really at about three or four years. And mining is a very large consumer of, of water. And so uh, particularly in those Southern regions, and then with some exceptions in the Northern regions, uh, water becomes, um, water scarcity becomes very, very critical. Yeah. Uh, so why is the Northern hemisphere water rich? And I suppose as, as you've just said that, is it because of the climate, climate. Uh, and I imagine because it, because it gets really cold, you can then obviously uh, water can then be formed through that sign uh, that I suppose that again, I'm not technical, but I, I'm sure. assuming because it's cold that there's probably more water. Well, that and the way, yeah, that's basically it. And then the way the, um, the currents, the thermal currents flow around the world, um, they tend to be um, high humidity in the Northern climates. And so, but again, with climate change, that's changing, right? So that's also a factor that's having an impact in mining. And particularly when one realizes that mines are normally very long uh, programs and projects. You're typically a mine might be 30, 40, 50, 150 years. And so it's very important that the miner plan his water program to have sufficient water over that period. So we can't have a, a mine that's going to operate for 50 years and only have sufficient water for 10. So, and that's a, that's a common problem. So that, that's the, and that's a climate change issue. Yeah. Um, how important is trans, uh, transparency in monitoring and reporting water status um, and risk to miners, uh, obviously the mining company stakeholders and shareholders? Well, as a general comment, transparency from the miner to their communities and to their governments and to their, essentially their stakeholders, shareholders and stakeholders is super important beyond water. It's certainly been an issue with the industry. There's been a general view that mining has, has been a little too um, inward focused, not as transparent as they need to be. And it's particularly important as an industry because, again, it's one of the few industries, in fact, maybe the only real industry that's dominant in the region that they exist. I mean, for Coca-Cola, that's important. You have a bottler, but you're one of many in a region. <clears throat> if you're Anglo-American, you've got a copper mine, you know, in central Chile, you know, you are dominant. And so it's really important to the community and to the governments that they believe that you're telling them exactly what's happening. You're, 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 uh, you're abstracting this amount of water, you're treating it in this way, you're discharging, you know, something else. It's clean, it can be reused, it is reused. Um, they know where the mine sits with respect to competition with schools and with communities and with other industry, power plants and so on. 
And historically, miners haven't shared a lot of that information. And so that's, a, that's become very, very sensitive in the past recent history. And is it getting better with companies sharing, obviously sharing knowledge around water, maybe not other, other types of knowledge, but a knowledge around water because, because of what it is and what it means to not just the mining industry, everyone, everyone that lives on, on the planet? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and it's particularly been led by the large multinational miners, which have recognized early on that not only is it necessary their survival, it's potentially a competitive advantage. Um, if an Anglo-American or a Rio Tinto or a BHP walks in and wants to you know, generate a mine in a region versus someone else, they can say, look, we're, we're very transparent. We're going to be a good community citizen. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how you're going to measure us. Here's our reporting data that you can look at it with us. And um, so I would say the, the industry as a whole, and particularly the primary professional organization, the industry, ICMM, which, as you know, is International Council of Metals and Mining, has been very aggressive and very proactive into developing um, a transparency program, a monitoring program, which is equally important. You can be transparent, but unless you're actually monitoring in a way that people believe you're measuring what you say you're measuring, then it doesn't mean much. And so that's become really critical to the industry. Yeah. Um, what are the key themes and key initiatives in water management in, in the mining industry today? Well, I would, I would say there's, if we, if we look at priorities, there's maybe three or four. Um, the first and probably the most obvious to everyone is water scarcity, which means having sufficient water to mine. It, depending on the commodity, the amount of water required can be substantial. I mean, a, an ounce of gold is typically thirty-five to 40,000 gallons. Uh, well, cubic meters, uh, we can flip, we can convert. But um, it, it's a tremendous amount of water. Uh, lithium now, of course, with uh, the electric battery requirement, lithium is in excess of 200,000 gallons per uh, pound of lithium. Um, and so it's huge, huge water quality or quantity required, both from the mining and the refining side. And so that's probably the absolute number one issue is having sufficient water available to do mining and then to do refining. The number two one is the other end of the mine, which is discharge. Um, you know, what are you putting back in the environment in terms of which contaminants are they an issue? If you're a gold miner, it's typically cyanide. If you're Copper, it's typically sulfate can be an issue um, and so on. And so those contaminants can be a critical issue to the communities in terms of affecting their water supply, drinking water supply, agricultural, cattle, you know, rice, wherever you are in the world. Um, and so that's number two. Number three issue today is probably what's typically called resource recovery. We have historically mined and done it in a fairly crude way. We take rock out of the ground, we um, extract things, and then we leave all this waste on the, on the surface. That waste has a lot of material in it. Both the tailings and waste rock have a lot of residual um, valuable contaminants. And so we're seeing a move today to go with new technology to go back and extract further products. If we have um, you know half a percent copper sitting in waste rock or, you know, uh, 300 part per million lithium in an acid mine drainage situation, that has value today. And in fact, it's actually cheaper in many cases to recover that than it is to mine new commodities. Because think about it, going in the ground normally takes 70 to 80% of the total cost is extracting from the ground. 
you don't have to extract from the ground. It's sitting. You've already brought it up. It's sitting up here on the surface, generally crunched up or in a tailings pond. And so now we just have to apply technology to remove that. And that's the new frontier, I think, over the next several years is what's generally called resource recovery or alternative sources of commodities to, to do better with what we already had. And, uh, and we're seeing that, particularly things like electric battery and reverse and, and uh, some commodities that are required there. Um, obviously, you mentioned res- uh, resource recovery. Um, what's going on with the recovery of valuable metals from existing tailings and waste rock? Um, obviously, you've mentioned some of that. Um, are there any sort of new water management technologies um, at work? Yeah, fundamentally, all those are water-related, right? Because you either have it in a tailings pond in water, or you've got it in waste rock or uh, acid mine drainage, which... Uh, you have to extract with water, essentially. So fundamentally, it's a water-based issue. And so there are a number of new technologies either developed or being developed. They generally fall into a, maybe two or three, three, let's say three categories. One category is membrane technology. That's probably the largest one, the most significant, and the most powerful. There's a bunch of membrane technologies that are very, very selective for things like lithium, copper, um, rare earths. Um, second are electrolytic technologies, applying electricity in some particular way to separate, say, metals from from some waste material. And the third is biological. There's some very interesting biological processes being developed that basically allow uh, microbes to selectively extract, let's say, valuable commodities from some background. And and we're seeing, you know, examples of all three really um, today. Okay. Um Obviously, uh, the battery metals, lithium, rare earths. Um, what's going on with them regarding um, water-based recovery? Um, obviously, like lithium, rare earths, um, with also obviously waste, waste rock and waste water. Well, it's interesting. So if you take, let's take lithium first, because everyone sort of knows about lithium. It's certainly a requirement for the electric battery um, expansion. You, you probably are aware of the projections that say that we're going to we the current capacity of mining is maybe half of what we're going to need 2030 and then you can use your own projection forward beyond that but it's it's certainly a, a deficit and so we have to find other sources of lithium the current source is primarily chile a little bit of western australia and ecuador using an evaporation technique basically lithium carbonate um uh, and, which is you know basically a solution brine it's evaporated on the surface and simply lithium carbonate extracted. The problem is we're evaporating massive lakes of water to do that. And in fact, governments are now saying no, no more. Um, and so that's a, essentially a water issue. So we have some technology going on in two areas. One is in recovery of that water to not evaporate it into the air and to actually recover it. So that's one. The other that I think is actually probably more exciting is some technology to extract lithium from alternative sources. Uh, as an example, there is in, in many produced waters, wastewaters in the oil and gas industry, sufficient lithium. And so just grabbing lithium from there, coal mine waste, acid mine drainage um, around the world, and many of them have a lot of lithium. And so extracting lithium from waste coal slags, for example, at power plants, coal-fired power plants, or at coal mines that are old coal mines, um, actually is looks to be economically productive and in fact cheaper. 
So that's early days, but there's some commercial projects there. So that's, a, I think, a really good example of not only resource recovery, but a circular economy where you're effectively taking waste material and effectively turning into something good. Maybe a quick comment on the rare earth world. It's a little different. Um, rare earths, as you probably know, are necessary for all sorts of things, everything from our global GPS system to various defense requirements to super magnets to your iPhone. Your iPhone has between five and seven rare earths. Um, there's a world shortage. And right now, unfortunately, the, 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 the supply is virtually all Chinese. It's somewhere north of 90%, maybe 95% um, from China. And so there is a need for alternative sources of rare earth and for expansion of the world supply of rare earths. And so when we look at that, rare earth mining is a problem. It's, tr it's water-based. It takes a huge amount of water. It's also very, um, uh, very polluting. It typically brings up uranium and thorium, which are radioactive. That's a problem. And so there, and that's why there's only one operating rare earth mine in the entire North America, um, one in Australia, for example, none in, the U none in Europe. Um, and so the approach right now for rare earths is to recognize that there are quite a lot of sources of rare earth other than mining. Uh, coal or power plant slags have the highest concentration of rare earths uh, outside of uh, the ground as an example. And so there is an ability to take some technology that's water-based and extract those rare earths and recover them from from, from coal waste, that's actually uh, ramping up in a fairly significant way in, in North America anyway. We seem to be going or heading into a commodities super cycle. So there's going to be a lot of projects coming online, a lot of expansions, etc. Do we have enough water for these expansions, for these new projects, um, or, or, or maybe not? And what, I suppose, what is the industry looking at uh, or should be looking at in terms of water management for, I suppose, the explosion of, of these uh, operations and of these commodities? Well, it's, here's the dichotomy. Just at a time, to your point, where you're correct, for most commodities, there's an explosion and, and there, for some, a very dramatic explosion over the next 10 to 15, 20 years, cobalt, nickel, copper, and so on. At the same time, Miners have been under pressure to decrease their water consumption. So, for example, and they, most of them have some sort of water, state of water metrics. As an example, Anglo American has several. One of them is a reduction by 2030 of 50%, by 50% um, their total water abstraction globally. The problem is that nothing is in a void. So, that 50%, you know, theoretically would assume current level of production, but it's not the level of production is also going to increase. So to actually meet, just using that example, 50% reduction would be more than 50% on an efficiency basis because you, you're gonna actually increase by a, a very large percentage the amount of capacity that you're gonna generate in copper, in, in cobalt, in nickel, and so on. And so that's the conundrum that miners have is how do we ramp up to meet the capacity expansion in these very thirsty metals nickel, you know, lithium, copper, particularly. Um, at the same time, we're committed corporately to decreasing our water consumption, where municipalities or communities are saying, look, you, Mr. Miner, can no longer have, uh, you know, 30% of the water in our region. You have to live with 5%. So water permits are decreased. 
water permits are decreasing at a time the miner is expanding. So that's the issue. And we're already water short in at least 50% of the world's major mines. So that that's the fundamental issue. And that's why we'll see things like, this is not quite mining, but why we're seeing current shortages. So for example, we're, I think most of us are aware of the current shortage of semiconductor chips. Well, part of that was a, a fire in, in, a, in a facility in Japan, but the other big part of that was simply no water in Taiwan at, the, uh, at, at several of the, um, the semiconductor facilities. When you're using 64,000 gallons of water for a 33 millimeter chip and you don't have water, you can't make chips. So, so that's the conundrum today. Yeah. Do you think to overcome some of these challenges, do you think new technologies need to be introduced or do you think existing um, technologies or the way that we use water needs to be improved or is it a combination of both? Well, it's a combination, but just to share a couple of specifics. With respect to technology, it's a combination of technology and practices. On the technology side, there clearly needs to be improvement in technology that can do recycle and reuse. Every mine should be able to reuse every cubic meter of water that they have. We, we should get to the concept of zero liquid discharge mines. And I know at Anglo, we had moved to that concept. We've been using the term waterless mine. Fundamentally, where nothing is not used, there's no discharge. It's used, or if, it's, if there's excess, it's provided in a, in a thoughtful way to communities. So for example, to growing rice or cattle or tomatoes or whatever it might be, or power plants or, or drinking water. For example, at Anglo, we were, we were generating some wastewater and turning into drinking water for communities, for example, in South Africa. So, and that's a very successful project. So, that's, so there's technology requirements to do that. The other big um, and, and probably even more important one is a difference in the way we think about solving problems. Historically, miners tried to solve the problem within the fence of their mine. They felt like that was what they had control of. Today, what we're realizing is uh, there's, a, there's a thought process running around called water stewardship, which is beyond mining. It's really, it's really a global process where every entity, industrial or municipality, thinks in terms of water stewardship, not just water management. Water stewardship, among other things, means Think where we are in the community. So, for example, and then think about solving the problems in a, in a collegial way among the entire community. So, to use a, a simple example, a miner, if he needs additional water, in the past would say, I only have this water source. It's a, a river or it's a well that I have access to. <clears throat> Today, he can say, look, uh, over there is a wastewater from a power plant. Over there is waste is a municipal sewage plant. We can take the water from that municipal sewage plant. In fact, in Anglo, we were doing that with several mines, is taking municipal sewage water instead of fresh water because it wasn't being used. It was a waste material. In fact, we made sure our processes could use municipal sewage um, and, or treated sewage, depending on the application. And so, but to, to, to get to that point, you have to think in a regional way. And thinking in a regional way then means you have a group of people beyond your fence thinking in ways to manage problems. To, to give you another quick example, at Anglo, there's a program called the Imekeleni plant in South Africa, which takes the waste from, um, I think it's nine separate coal mines and, and three separate companies. 
uh, Anglo, BHP, and others. Um, and so rather than one mine treating wastewater into a particular river basin, the Oliphants River Basin, there was a regional plant built taking all the, the waste, which is very much more efficient, and converting that waste to drinking water for the region. And so that's an example of collective thinking, where you're thinking in a broader way around the community. And that's just absolutely no longer an option. It has to happen to think in, in, in collective terms. Yeah. Um, as a conclusion, what would you like to see mining companies um, improve their water management or even, I suppose, the industry as a whole? What things would you like? And I suppose, I suppose these could be easier, quick things that they can they, that they can change as opposed to bringing in introducing new big technology. What would you say you would like to see mining companies as a quick fix, mining companies or the industry um, improve on their water management? Well, as a quick <clears throat> set of comments, number one uh, is transparent monitoring and transparency. I know that we've talked about that, but it's still surprising that when you walk into a mine around the world, more than half of them cannot tell you how much water they consume, how much water they discharge, or how much they use within their facilities. More than half can't do that. That's job one. If you can't do that, you can't solve the problem because you don't know what the problem is. So that's absolutely number one. Number two is, as I've said, think collectively around the region. It's still difficult to get miners. Uh, it, it's a process, but other than the multinationals, it's still a process to get miners to think as a citizen of the community rather than their individual operation. And, and I would say those are the two most significant things that need to change. And who would you say has that responsibility if you were looking at a, a mine site? Is it the senior management? Is it the general manager? Is it the mine manager? Is it a collective well, ultimately, it's senior management. I mean, it's the it's the co corporation itself. The corporation will not survive if the community does not like the mine. If they're not seen as a good neighbor, um, they won't get permits. They won't get support. They'll they'll be regulated to oblivion. Um, they they have it, it's in the corporation's best interest to be seen as a good neighbor. Um, and miners are starting to recognize that. Um, site management, the general manager or managers at the site, frankly can't do very much if the corporation is not supporting their activity. Right, got you. Yeah, so I suppose a, a junior miner looking to start an operation, it should be obviously part of their whole whole plans. But if you're already in operation, then it needs to be addressed um, more so than probably it, it is already. Um, so again, I suppose it depends where, where you are in the, the life cycle of the mine. Um, but obviously it needs to be needs to be attended to um, and it is obviously an important subject uh, important uh, topic especially as we're moving forward um, with like I said commodity super cycle there is going to be more and more shortage water shortages in the future so I think it is a important topic that we should um, that mining companies should take responsibility over absolutely yeah Hugh really appreciate your time um, with your um, wisdom and your knowledge around water management. If any of our audience wants to uh, reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? Are you on any social media platforms? Uh, I try to avoid social media platforms, but I am on LinkedIn. So uh, uh, that's probably the only one, or certainly reach out to yourself where I'm happy to provide a email address. 
Yeah, no worries. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me an email and I can pass it on to you. Um, appreciate your time um, in obviously providing um, your knowledge around water. Our audience, appreciate you. Um, I hope you've got a lot from, from this. Um, it's Like I said, it's not a subject that you probably think about on a daily basis, but it certainly will be within your framework on a daily basis. So appreciate if you can pass this and share this episode to others in the industry um, or even um, people on neighbouring sites or neighbouring operations. Appreciate if you can keep sharing um, and liking uh, this podcast. And also if you're watching on the YouTube channel, appreciate if you can like and share below um, so it gets out to more people uh, within the mining industry. So... Appreciate your time again, Q, um, and the audience for listening. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.